Hello and welcome back to the fall of the Roman Empire. My name is Nick Holmes and this is episode 49 called Restoring the Roman Name? Question mark. In AD 410, it looked as if the Western Roman Empire was finished. Rome had been sacked. The Western Empire had all but disintegrated. The Goths were meandering freely around Italy. Spain was in the hands of the Vandals and Alans. Gaul was in the hands of the Franks and Burgundians. To make matters worse, as if the Romans didn't have enough external enemies, they added a few more by fighting among themselves. For in 410, there were no fewer than six emperors. In addition to the two legitimate members of the Theodosian dynasty, Honorius in the west and Theodosius in the east, there were Constantine III and his co-emperor son Constans in Gaul, Priscus Attalus had been declared emperor by Alaric, and even a sixth usurper called Maximus had sprung up in Spain. All in all, it looked a pretty bad time to be Roman. But one of the lessons of history is always to expect the unexpected. And just as it looked that the West would surely implode, so it managed to stage a sort of recovery. Of course, this was nothing like a return to the glorious days of the empire under Diocletian and Constantine. But nevertheless, it was a recovery that formed the platform for the West to limp on for another few decades before it finally faced extinction. So, let's rejoin our story when Alaric the Visigoth left the city of Rome after three days of sacking it. This destroyed any hope that he might be granted a position within the Roman Empire by the Emperor Honorius, so he marched south to cross over to North Africa, where he intended to set up a Gothic kingdom. However, this was frustrated by the destruction of his fleet before crossing to Sicily. Then he died prematurely, perhaps of malaria, and was succeeded by his brother-in-law, Atulf. Atulf decided to lead the Goths north to Gaul. We know next to nothing of Gothic thinking behind this decision. Indeed, the Roman sources leave almost no record of what they actually did in Italy from 410 to early 412 when they crossed the Alps close to modern Geneva and descended into Gaul. One Roman source suggests Italy was pretty badly ravaged by the Goths, but they made no attempt to sack Rome a second time or to attack Ravenna or any major Roman cities that we know of. In tow, they took Honorius's sister, the imperial princess Galla Placidia. Despite the fact that the Goths were effectively in control of Italy, Honorius could only see the threat posed directly against him by Constantine III. Before the sack of Rome, when there'd been a danger that Alaric might advance and besiege Ravenna, Honorius had been only too happy to try to get help from Constantine by sending him a purple cloak, thereby recognising his imperial aspirations. But now that the Goths were leaving Italy, Honorius felt safe enough to start thinking how he could attack and eliminate his rival. But I think, as usual, it was not Honorius who did anything. Oh no, he was far too busy feeding his chickens. But one of his ministers who took command, and this man was called Constantius. In AD 411, he assumed the post of Magister Militum of the Western Army, and therefore effectively became the new Stilicho, the man who actually ruled the Western Empire, although Honorius was still its nominal head. 
First of all, Constantius's efforts were directed against the usurper Constantine III. He took his small army over the Alps and successfully besieged Constantine III in Arles, where he forced him to surrender. Constantine tried to save himself by entering a church in the city where he was ordained as a priest, but he and his son Julian were taken prisoner and beheaded. Their heads were then sent to Ravenna, where they were put on spears and displayed amidst a growing collection of such trophies, including the head of the unfortunate Stilicho. Now, you're probably wondering why Constantius was able to defeat Constantine III so easily. The reason is that Constantine's little empire had started to fall apart. This actually began in Spain, where the Spanish legionaries had originally voted for Constantine when he raised rebellion back in Britain in late 406, and he then placed Spain under the command of one of his British generals, a man named Gerontius. But the German invaders who crossed the Rhine in 406 ended up crossing into Spain in 409, and Gerontius failed to stop them. Now, Constantine wasn't happy about this and sent his son Constans to sort Spain out. But Gerontius was offended by this and rebelled against Constans. He then set up his own emperor in Spain called Maximus, about whom we know very little except that he might possibly have been Gerontius' own son. Now, Gerontius advanced from Spain into Gaul, and he captured Constans at Vienne and put him to death. And this happened almost exactly the same time that Constantius was advancing from Italy across the Alps against Constantine III. Were Gerontius and Constantius in league? In fact, there's no evidence that they were, but Constantius certainly was aware that Constantine was having problems in Spain, and it proved very useful to him. So, by 411, with Constantine III and his son gone, we're down to only four emperors, Maximus still in Spain, and Priscus Attalus, who was still with Atalf's Goths. But I'm afraid the bad news is that yet another emperor suddenly popped his head up. Indeed, in these years, usurpers were disappearing and appearing a bit like moles in a game of whack-a-mole, because no sooner were Constantine III and Constans dead than there was yet another rebellion in Gaul, this time led by a Gallo-Roman called Jovinus. Now, Jovinus was a Roman officer stationed at Mainz. But before you start thinking, hey, well, at least the Romans still had officers in Mainz, so there must have been a bit of the Roman army left holding out against the barbarians, think again, because Juvenus was actually supported by the Burgundian king Gundahar and the Alan king Goar. Yes, you've got it right. In fact, what's happening now is that the barbarians are calling the shots and proclaiming their own emperors. So we have two barbarian emperors, the Goths with Priscus Italus and the Burgundians and Alans with Jovinus. Okay, so now we have an interesting situation. Because if you were playing a board game like Risk, and sorry if you're not familiar with that game, it's basically one where you have lots of players with their armies fighting for control of the world. And one of the things you learn quickly is that if you can get your enemies to fight each other, then it's a lot easier than having to fight them yourself. And that's exactly the thought that occurred to Constantius as he no doubt sat one night in his tent and thought, hey, why don't I get the Goths 
to go and fight the Burgundians and Alans. That way I can just sit back and watch the barbarians destroy each other. By the way, I made that up about Constantius thinking of this in his tent, and actually it's more likely he did it in the local Roman wine bar, since about the only description we have of him says that, quote, on public occasions his look was stern, but in private, at tables and wine parties, he was genial and agreeable. So what happened was that Constantius actually retreated back into Italy while Jovinus advanced south with his Burgundians and Alans and Atalf's Goths marched north over the Alps. So the two sets of barbarians met at Arles in southern Gaul. Was there a big punch-up? Actually, no, not straight away. And that was really because of Priscus Attalus, Atalf's pretend emperor, who was pretty smart and tried to get all the barbarians to get along together. Constantius must have been getting a bit worried. To have all of the barbarians getting together in Gaul was the last thing he wanted, but very fortunately for him, that didn't happen, because the barbarians did indeed start to fall out the way that he was hoping. First of all, there was a bust-up caused by the Gothic general Sarus, who you may remember had long ago defected from the Goths to join Stilicho. Now, he was a rival to Alaric and Atulf, and had attacked Alaric outside Ravenna in 410, if you remember that. And he had fallen out with Constantius, who was his new boss, and decided to leave Ravenna and join up with Jovinus. But Atulf intercepted him and killed him. Jovinus was not too pleased with this, and in a fit of pique with Atulf, he made his own brother Sebastianus co-emperor against Atulf's wishes. Constantius must have been rubbing his hands with glee when he heard about this, because the barbarians were at last properly falling out. And he must have given the Emperor Honorius a big high-five when he finally heard the news that Atulf was now so annoyed with Jovinus that he promised to send the heads of Jovinus and Sebastianus to Ravenna on top of the customary spears. So, in 413, it all turned out perfectly for the Romans. The Goths fought the Burgundians and Alans, who they defeated. They captured Jovinus and Sebastianus, beheaded them, and sent their heads to Ravenna to join the ever-growing line of heads on spears in front of the city walls. Constantius probably went to the wine bar to celebrate, and Honorius gave his chickens an extra helping of pellets. But the Western Romans had hardly breathed a sigh of relief that Jovinus was dead than yet another pretender raised rebellion. This time it was actually more worrying because the rebel was in North Africa, which was still the breadbasket of Rome and Italy. His name was Heraclian and the root of his rebellion lay in a personal feud with Constantius. The bone of contention went back to the days of Stilicho. Constantius had been one of Stilicho's loyal officers and had not surprisingly been pretty upset when he was beheaded. Now the man who actually beheaded him was none other than Heraclian, who'd been rewarded with the governorship of North Africa. But Constantius was gradually hunting down Stilicho's killers. 
If you remember, it was the minister Olympias who had undermined Stilicho and caused him to be killed. Although Olympias had been exiled, Constantius had tracked him down and arranged for him to be clubbed to death in a particularly brutal fashion. Now, Heraclian knew he was next on Constantius's hit list, so he decided that attack was the best form of defence, and he actually invaded Italy, intending to raise a rebellion against Constantius and Honorius in Rome itself. Given the fragile state of the Western Empire, presumably he reckoned that he had more chance of survival doing this than waiting for Constantius to come after him. But Constantius was expecting him. He defeated Heraclian soldiers, whereupon Heraclian fled back to Africa, only to be seized by his disgruntled subjects and beheaded in Carthage in 413. His head was then sent to Ravenna to join the collection. So, things were looking quite good for Constantius and Honorius. But not really for Constantius, because he was in fact lovesick. He was in love with Galla Placidia, Honorius's sister, and as I'm sure you remember, she'd been taken captive by the Goths at Rome in 410. Now, when Atulf sided with the Ravenna regime and said he'd kill the usurper Jovinus, he also said he'd return Placidia. But this didn't happen and it transpired he had very different intentions. He wanted to marry her. By the way, one very important point I haven't mentioned is that the Goths, or I should really call them Visigoths, although to be honest the term Visigoth is a later invention, their alliance with Ravenna was heavily influenced by a Roman agreement to provide them with corn. Because throughout this period, the Goths struggled to feed themselves. As they marched through Italy and then into Gaul, they were constantly short of food. And so one easy way to win them over was to offer them corn from Africa, Rome's breadbasket. But, of course, when Heraclian revolted, he cut the grain supply to Italy and the Romans reneged on their agreement to supply the Goths with corn. Although you might have thought Atulf would have known that this wasn't their fault, nevertheless it caused a falling out between the two sides, which led to the Goths declaring their own state in Aquitaine and Atulf declaring that he would marry Placidia. So, in January 414, he married her in Narbonne in an enormously extravagant ceremony. Apparently, all the gold and treasures which the Goths had taken from the Romans were spread out before Placidia. The most interesting point was that Atulf then declared that he wanted to be a Roman, not a Goth. He dressed as a Roman and gave a speech that the Roman writer Erosius has preserved for us, and it went like this. Quote, At first I ardently desired that the Roman name should be obliterated and that all Roman soil should be converted into an empire of the Goths. I longed that Romania should become Gothia and Atulf be what Caesar Augustus was. But I have been taught by much experience, that the unbridled license of the Goths will never admit of their obeying laws, and without laws a republic 
is not a republic. I have therefore chosen the safer cause of aspiring to the glory of restoring and increasing the Roman name by Gothic vigour, and I hope to be handed down to posterity as the initiator of a Roman restoration, as it is impossible for me to change the form of this empire. End quote. These words were actually probably crafted by Erosius himself, but there is every reason to suppose that Atulf said something similar. He then proposed an alliance with Honorius, but probably under Constantius's guidance, this was refused, and the reason, of course, was that Constantius was bitterly jealous of his marrying Placidia. So, rejected by Ravenna, Atulf marched into Spain and set up court at Barcelona. There, Placidia gave birth to a son called Theodosius. This was a momentous occasion for an empire that was obsessed with dynastic legitimacy because, first, Honorius had no children, and many historians have speculated that he was impotent, while his nephew, Theodosius, also had no children because he was still a child. Therefore, because of course Placidia was an imperial princess, this put her and Atulf's son next in line to inherit the Roman Empire. For a moment, it looked as if a whole new era of Gothic-Roman relations might be dawning. But it was not to be. Within months, Placidia's son died. And within months of that, Atulf himself died at the hands of a vengeful follower of the Gothic general Sarus, who you remember was his archenemy who he'd killed. The story goes that one night Atulf went to his stables to tend to his horses, which was his daily routine, but whereas normally he was accompanied by at least some of his followers, on this occasion he went alone, and the renegade follower of Sarus, dubious by name, was waiting for him and jumped out of the dark to stab him to death. His dying words were to send his Roman wife back to her own country where she would be happy, but this didn't happen immediately. Indeed, for a week a follower of Cyrus seized power and made Placidia walk in the company of slaves behind her husband's funeral procession. But he was slain by another goth, Wallia, who respected Atulf's wishes and offered to return her to Ravenna in exchange for a resumption of the corn supplies which the Goths so badly needed. Of course, Constantius jumped at this opportunity to secure Placidia's return. He was so desperately in love with her that historians think all his schemes were ultimately designed to secure her return. Immediately she did return, he married her. According to the Roman sources, this was against her wishes. Apparently, she found him physically unattractive. We don't know why she disliked him, because he was really the Roman's best bet at this time. But perhaps she was still in love with Atulf. Another reason is that historians think Constantius could have been an old man compared with her. We have no record of his age, but it's quite possible that he'd been a soldier for decades and that he was in his 50s or 60s at this time, while she was definitely still in her mid-20s. Or maybe the story was simply made up by Constantius's critics. Whatever the truth, she did marry him and rapidly bore him two children, the future Emperor Valentinian III and his sister Honoria, 
who would herself prove to be as headstrong as her mother when, much later, she offered herself in marriage to Attila the Hun. But that, as they say, is another story, which we will cover in future episodes. So, back to the Goths and their newfound alliance with Ravenna. This proved to be a winning formula. Not only did they persuade the Vandals and Alans in Spain to declare their loyalty to the Romans by becoming federati, but the grateful Constantius granted the Goths their own lands back in Gaul. So they moved into Aquitaine on the Atlantic coast as Roman federati. In triumph, Constantius convened a council of Roman administrators in Gaul in 418 at Arles. It was proclaimed as if it was a restoration of the Roman Empire in Gaul. But the truth was very different. It was in fact attended by only a few Roman governors from the south of Gaul, and the reality was that most of the country was in barbarian hands, even if they were called federati or allies. For example, in Aquitaine, where the Goths had settled, the land was allocated two-thirds to the incoming Goths, and only one-third was retained by the original Roman landowners. A similar settlement was made with the Burgundians in eastern Gaul, and the Franks had basically just occupied the northeast of Gaul. All of these barbarians, despite being called Federati regarded their domains as their own kingdoms. The truth was the Roman Empire was being partitioned. The Roman name was not being restored, as Atulf claimed he would do. Instead, the barbarians were taking over. And that ends this episode. Thanks so much for listening. And I hope you enjoyed it. And if you did, of course, I'd be delighted for any ratings or reviews in whichever podcast app you use. And in the next episode, we'll look at what was going on in the eastern half of the Roman Empire. And in the meantime, do sign up to my newsletter on my website at www.nickholmesauthor.com for updates and articles on all things Roman. Thanks for listening. Happy New Year and see you next time.